Sentire Media. Hello everyone and welcome to A History of Italy. Episode 70. No more Normans and horrid Henry. So, here we are after a long six-episode digression to catch the Republic of Venice up on where we have got to in our main timeline. We are once again ready to go forward. Well, more or less. We just need to get our bearings and remember where we were and also a very quick fill-in. I promise, I mean very quick fill-in with regard to the Norman Kingdom of Sicily. Then, the very next episode, cross my heart, we will break into the 13th century. So, we saw that the Normans had started in the early 11th century by slowly conquering all of southern Italy, and had then moved down to Sicily, managing to oust the Arabs there and setting up a duchy, which, after a load of faffing about and lots of people getting annoyed, managed to become a kingdom in the mid-12th century. The two most recent kings we are interested in, both descendants of the Hauteville family, are, first of all, William I, who was known as Il Malo, the Bad, for the harsh repression of his vassals every time they tried to rebel. He ruled from 1154, at the death of Roger II, to 1166, when he was succeeded by his son, William II. He came to be known as the Good, because he didn't enjoy blinding and killing vassals quite as much. He was only about 13 at the time of his father's death, so he was helped out by his mum, Marguerite of Navarre, for a little bit. He married an Englishwoman, sister of Richard the Lionheart, and daughter of Henry II, and the formidable Eleanor of Aquitaine. This marriage would cause problems for his successor not too far down the road. It is up for debate how much of a real hands-on ruler William was, William II we're talking about. It seems that a lot of the day-to-day management of the reign fell to advisers and counsellors, among whom were a certain Matteo D'Aiello and a possible Englishman, Walter of the Mill. The story goes that the Italians couldn't quite cope with the pronunciation of of the mill and transformed him into Gualtiero o Famiglio, which is a pretty good story, possibly not true, because it also may have been a Latin term for him to begin with, and anyway, most of the nobility in England at that time would have spoken French, but who am I to ruin a good story? Anyway, you can forget those names if you want. The big issue we have to look at with the reign of William II is the marriage alliance that would change the future of the Kingdom of Sicily and a good part of Europe. A deal which had many contemporaries, including a rather significant percentage of the vassals of the kingdom, shaking their heads in disbelief. At the time, William had no children, so the next in line for the throne of the Kingdom of Sicily was actually his aunt, Constance, 
daughter of Roger II and sister of William I. She would have been in her early 30s at the time and an old maid by contemporary standards. Who was she to marry? Obviously, my ever-constant and vigilant listeners will remember, but just in case, she was to marry none other than Henry, son of Frederick Barbarossa, future king of Germany, future king of the Kingdom of Italy, i.e. northern Italy down to the Papal States, and future Holy Roman Emperor Henry VI. Why, oh why, oh why, would William so readily give up the kingdom his family had built up with blood, sweat, toil, and tears. Well, first of all, we don't really know for sure that he thought he actually was giving away his kingdom. Granted, he had been married to Joan for about ten years now, and no babies had popped out, so there must have been something not working somewhere. But that doesn't mean that things couldn't change. Plus, William saw this as an alliance that could help him with one of the Hauteville family's pet projects, that is, the expansion towards the Byzantine Empire, even to the point of taking Constantinople itself. In this sense, the Norman king saw Barbarossa as a powerful ally to reach his goal. Another reason could have also been that one of his main counsellors, the aforementioned water of the mill, or de la Moulin, or off the mill, or whatever his name was, was in favour of the marriage agreement. Then add to this a final consideration. If William did know or suspect that he did not have children of his own, who would be the best candidate to maintain the unity of the kingdom his family had fought for so long to gain and maintain? The choice of any local vassal would have immediately excluded all of the others and in the fractured scenario that was in particular southern Italy, that would have meant almost inevitable civil war. On the other hand, you had a family, the Hohenstaufen, who made the question of a unified empire not only a priority of their policy, but an obsession. So who better to also safeguard the unity of the kingdom? Whatever the reasoning may have been, the marriage took place in 1186 at the Cathedral of Sant'Ambrogio in Milan. The couple were also crowned king and queen of the Kingdom of Italy with the Iron Crown of the Lombards. The Pope at the time, Urban III, went ballistic. This was exactly what the popes had been working to avoid for centuries, that is, being surrounded by the same political entity to the north and the south. He even went so far as to excommunicate the Archbishop of Aquileia, who had done the whole crowning business. Surely the Pope was overreacting. He didn't have anything to worry about yet. I mean, William of Sicily was only in his early 30s. Surely everyone had at least a few decades to adjust to the situation and make their counter moves. In 1189, Less than three years after the controversial wedding, King William of Sicily, the last of the male Hauteville line, died at the age of 36. The Kingdom of Sicily went to his aunt, Constance, and consequently to her husband, Henry.
When his father, Frederick Barbarossa, died the following year on his way to the Third Crusade, he became the de facto ruler of an empire that stretched from the North Sea to the centre of the Mediterranean. That same year, a very reluctant Pope Clement III officially crowned him Holy Roman Emperor. However, having a crown and a title doesn't necessarily mean you control things on the ground. With the death of William II, the Kingdom of Sicily went nuts. Not only did the various vassals rebel against the new overlord, but the cities such as Orvieto and Viterbo tried to use the opportunity to increase their independence from central power. Worst of all, the social unrest that was bubbling under the surface now broke out, with Christians angry at the fall of Jerusalem to Saladin starting to attack the Muslim communities in Palermo. In the end, however, the barons of the realm managed to get things together without descending into violent conflict and managed to decide on their own king, Tancredi of Lecce. An attack by Emperor Henry was just a matter of time. Meanwhile, there was another more pressing problem floating around in the waters outside of Palermo, a certain Richard Cor de Lyon, King of England. He was not a happy bunny. First of all, because the kingdom still owed him cash, which was not forthcoming from the whole marriage agreement between his sister Joan and the late William II. Furthermore, said Joan was actually being held captive by Tancredi under suspicion of being in cahoots with Constance and her hubby, Henry. In September of 1190, Richard took advantage of the fact that he was already hanging around waiting to leave for the Holy Land to occupy Bagnara along the Calabrian coast and the Salvatore Peninsula near Messina. Unexpected and strong resistance from the local population halted further advances by the English king and talks were started up. However, King Philip of France was also hanging around, ready to head off for the crusade, and he didn't like the idea of the English reaching an agreement with Tancredi, so he did his best to stir up the people of Messina to once again take up arms against the English. This apparently didn't take much convincing. Interestingly, one of the chroniclers pointed to the fact that it was not so much the women of Messina who were being bothered, but the men by the English sailors. Richard reacted by doubling his efforts and taking Messina, as well as many of its noblewomen as hostages, perhaps to counter the idea that his sailors weren't so interested in women, and soon the standard of Richard flew over the city. At this point, an agreement was reached in which Tancredi finally paid up what he owed, promised he would marry his daughter to Richard's nephew Arthur of Brittany, and Richard, on his part, offered to help Tancredi against Henry when he finally made his descent to claim the throne that Tancredi had taken from him. On an interesting side note, some sources say that at this point Richard presented Tancredi with the mythical sword of King Arthur, Excalibur. I found this in more than one source, but haven't had that much time to look into it. I can imagine Richard being the kind of guy who would get roaringly drunk and in the enthusiasm of the moment present some random person with a very precious gift. Anyway, 
Legend lovers, please write in and let me know what you know about what happened to Excalibur. Perhaps Richard thought that a magical sword was what Tancredi needed to defend himself from Henry VI, because when the Holy Roman Emperor did show up on the scene, the English king was three weeks gone. Tancredi now had to defend a reign that was far from consolidated, especially in Puglia, and with support waning. The start of Henry's campaign was a triumphant march, with cities falling like dominoes. Rocca d'Arce, San Germano, Teano, Aversa, Venafro, Capua and Salerno. The first real resistance came in Naples, which was put under siege. At this point, it seemed that Tancredi might be able to catch a break. The Neapolitans put up more of a fight than expected, and as time dragged on, the German troops were beset with disease. Furthermore, fresh unrest in northern Italy and Germany meant that Henry had to go back for a while. It was at this point, however, that Tancredi made his biggest mistake by giving up a very precious bargaining chip. The inhabitants of Salerno had captured and handed over Constance, Henry's wife. Had he learned from Henry himself, he would at least have demanded a high ransom like the emperor had recently done with King Richard of England, and perhaps he could even have reached term to maintain at least part of his realm. What he actually did was to hand Constance over to the Pope, who, hoping to appease Henry, gave her up to him. Henry was very far from being appeased, and he was also now ready to march back down again with a fresh army raised thanks to the cash from Richard the Lionheart's ransom. Tancredi's only consolation was that he didn't have much time to regret his mistake, since he died on the 20th of February, 1194. Henry now easily took all of mainland southern Italy, making sure he sacked Salerno for handing his wife over to Tancredi, and by May he was ready to cross over to Sicily and take the capital, Palermo. On Christmas Day 1194, Henry could finally have the crown of the Kingdom of Sicily placed on his head, and the Holy Roman Empire now truly stretched all the way down to southern Italy and Sicily. This was where the reign of terror started. The widow of Tancredi, Sibilla, and her children got off lightly and were sent into exile to a monastery in Germany. Many nobles were imprisoned, tortured, and castrated. I recently received a message from a listener asking if I had any information about the history of Avellino, and unfortunately I don't have much. However, I can say that at this point, Ruggiero, Roger, of Avellino was one of the unlucky ones to have his precious bits lopped off. Even the dead were not spared because the body of King Tancredi was exhumed and stripped of its royal robes and regalia. The new vassals of Henry would have done well to learn from this show of cruelty. As soon as he was distracted by troubles from vassals in Germany, they rebelled against their new overlord and elected yet a new anti-king, Guglielmo Monaco, baron of Castro Giovanni. Henry quickly suppressed this new rebellion, and then the only limit to his cruelty was his imagination, 
and he was an imaginative guy. Many were hung upside down with rocks tied to their necks so that they would choke or to their tongues so they would suffocate. Others were boiled in hot fat, some were impaled and others sawn in half. Some kept their lives but were blinded or castrated. The usurper himself, Guglielmo Monaco, had a red-hot crown nailed to his head. Even for the bloodthirsty public opinion of the Middle Ages, it was a bit too much. If someone at that moment had started doing some intense praying to be freed from what they saw as a tyrant whose cruelty knew no bounds, it seems that their prayers were answered, for on the 28th of September 1197, Henry died from a flare-up of an infection caused by dysentery, a common and most non-noble way to go. He left a three-year-old heir, Frederick, who obviously bore the name of his grandfather, the great Barbarossa. How would this little tyke do? Would he be able to navigate the complicated international politics of a large empire and perhaps the even more complicated politics of the Kingdom of Sicily? Or would he be crushed under the merciless wheel of history? You know that at this point I'm going to leave you with a cliffhanger, but this time I'll also give you a clue. Try an internet search for the words stupor mundi, wonder of the world, and just see who comes up. Thanks very much to everyone for listening. This is the monthly mention of the Anita and Giuseppe Garibaldi level supporters. That is Bill, Ed, Eric W, Fabio M, Gary G, Jeff, Joshua, Cara D, Sean and Jimmy. Thank you very much to all of you. And as usual, the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level Anthony, Silane, Chris, Daniel, Dean, Greg, Ignazio, Jay. Caitlin, Kevin, Marxist-Leninist-Sicilian, Reactionary Venetian, Roberta, Rodney, Shelby, Stephen and Vincent, and the super tippy-top, Maria Montessori, and Dante Ligieri-Level, Sen, Paolo, and Lisa Kay. Remember, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com, and at that URL, ahistoryofitaly.com, you can click through to our social media, Twitter, and Facebook, donate on the support page if you feel so inclined or become a patron on patreon and access some extra content thanks in general to everyone for listening and until next time arrivederci Hey, there you are, Tank Ready. Great wine you have around here. I, I love it. Yes, I can see. I, I'm, I'm so happy we're friends again. Yes. And, and the kids. I mean, your little girl and my little nephew Arthur. It, it seems just yesterday he was digging servants with his little play sword they grew up so fast
Uh, yes, well, uh, perhaps it's a time to retire to our chambers. No, 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 wait, wait come here, come here. Come here, let me, let me tell you something. Come here, come here. What is it, Richard? Uh, I love you, man. What? No, 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 really, really. I'm totally serious. I love you, man. Actually, I want to I wanna give you a, a present. That uh, won't be necessary. Yeah, no, no, I, I, insist, I insist, don't I? Wait, 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 wait. There are, mate. Uh, uh, that's for you. Ah, uh, an old sword. Uh, well... What? Well, no, man, it's... It's... It's just... Excalibur? Yeah, 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 it's like... It's like a magic sword, man. And and you'll be like, pew, pew, wow, check out my sword. And, and all your, your enemies, they'll be like, oh, whoa, no, no magic sword, man, oh, no. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally, yeah, it'd be great. Well, um, uh, thank you, I suppose. Well, anyway, I, I think I need a toilet now. Sentire Media Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentiri Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.